Welcome to Ciao Bella, hosted by me, Erica Firpo, travel journalist based in Rome. Each episode of Ciao Bella, I sit down with Italy's creators, contemporary artists and artisans, designers, culinary experts, heritage brands, and innovative estites, and more who are defining and redefining 21st century Italy. Pull up a chair and join in. I expect to hear that on this podcast. I expect to hear, Erika, I'm here with Erika. Hey, welcome back to Ciao Bella. Today I am at Ciampini, my favorite cafe in Rome with one of my favorite people who, actually I think she is the only person I allow to enjoy this experience with me outside of my family. I'm, I'm gonna give my family credit. I'm with Arlene Gibbs. Hey, Arlene. Ciao, Erika. I was waiting for that. <laughs> Arlene, aside from being a great friend of mine, I'm so I'm so proud to have her on my podcast today and proud to brag about her. She is a screenwriter, the co-writer of Jumping the Broom, which is a great weekend rom-com if you need one. Uh, and I think we all need one. She's the writer of The Return of Mrs. Tracy Higgins. Did I get the rebirth? The rebirth, the rebirth. Thank you, thank you. You can always tell me. And so, yes, yeah, super creative. But it's not just the left brain, it's the right brain, too. <laughs> She's an interior designer. And I'm so happy because um, if you follow her Instagram, which is at Arlene Antoinette Gibbs, um, you get a chance, a peek into her world of the, the interiors that she is designing, which leads me to the, because you're not a triple threat, you become a quadruple threat because. Quadruple. Yeah. You wrote a book. Right. You, co you co-wrote a, a movie. Right. You're an interior designer, and here's the quadruple. She's the host and the designer of Reno Italiano on HDTV. Grazie, Erika. You make me sound fantastical. You are fantastic. <laughs> and if everybody could see her right now, which you will see, because you're going to go over to Ciao Bella and look at the pictures. Um, she's got an incredible smile, too, <laughs> that I always, always tell her about, because I love it. And it cheers me up all the time. But we're not talking about you. We're going to talk about design. Yes, interior design here in Italy. Well, you know, I'm 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 gonna I'm gonna go out on a limb. You didn't grow up here. No, I did not. <laughs> Please excuse me. This is my first podcast. I'm I'm quite nervous. So you are the most relaxed speaker I know. There's nothing to be nervous about. And okay. No, I did not grow up in Italy. I am not Italian. I did, however, grow up or spent my formative years in a town called Verona, New Jersey. When I was ten, my parents were from the Caribbean. Uh, they are from the island of St. Martin, the French side. It's just, I just want you to say that again. The French side. The French side. Because <laughs> she, she's how, very particular about that. That is how I'm able to live and work legally in Italy, because I have a French passport. But I grew up in the United States, which is why I really don't speak French, um, much to my chagrin. But anyway, I uh, was born in New York City. And then when I was 10, my parents moved us to Verona. So my sister claims it was my destiny to live in Italy one day, which is ah, so funny. Very Shakespearean. <laughs> I, I always saw myself living abroad at some point, but I thought it would be Paris or London or, you know, in the Caribbean. But I never, Italy was never on my radar at all. I mean, I wasn't thinking about Rome, wasn't thinking about Italy. And then I came here in 2005 for the first time and it just felt like home the minute I got off the plane and everyone thinks that's nuts my Italian friends are like I don't know why you would think that and my friends in LA where I was living at the time thought oh it's not about Italy it's about where you were in life or where you weren't in life you could have gone to 
Ames, Iowa and had the same reaction, but no, it's not true. So then you moved here in 2008. 2003 years, yeah, three years basically to the month of that first trip I moved. And it's funny that my dad is one of the people who kind of helped set those wheels in motion because I thought I would move here, you know, once I was retired, when I was older. It was definitely, you know, something for the future. And I was working on a movie in Toronto, and we had just wrapped, and we were getting ready to go back to L.A. I was talking to my dad, and my parents had um, moved back to the Caribbean after they retired. And my father said to me, you know, I don't know why you're waiting. Like, what, you know, nothing is guaranteed to us, you know. And uh, you're not living in L.A., you're just existing. And this shook me to my core, because if you know anything about... It's not even just being like first generation American and having, you know, parents from foreign country. It's also <laughs> the fact that they're Caribbean. If you know anything about that culture, it's not a um, go follow your bliss kind of culture. It's more <laughs> like, why aren't you a doctor, engineer, a lawyer? Like, why didn't you get a master's <laughs> or an advanced degree? Um, so for him to say that to me really made me think. And he was right. I mean, I loved the job that I had at the time. I like LA now. I, I wasn't a fan. I lived there for 10 years and I was really unhappy and probably slightly depressed for 10 years. <laughs> I did not realize it until I moved. You came here in 2008. I think it's I think one of the things that ever since we've been friends that I've noticed is you have an incredibly supportive family. You've told me a lot about your family and how, you know, the you know, be, being Caribbean Caribbean Oh, God, I always do this with you. I doubt the way I say it. No, because some people say, like, Pirates of the Caribbean. I think it was Pirates, Pirates of the, the Caribbean. Caribbean. But a lot of people from the Caribbean say, say Caribbean. Caribbean. Yes. I say Caribbean because that's what I grew up saying. But sometimes I say Caribbean. Well, I don't I think, know. I think, I think this might be a Philadelphia thing. I think that in Philadelphia you say Caribbean? I, no, I think in the Caribbean. I mean, I think in Philadelphia you say Caribbean, Caribbean because Caribbean. I think that's like an East Coast And then West thing. Coast? Do they say Maybe they say Cat. Oh, but I but I will say you know we, no I know you I, but I will say you know talking about your parents and you know especially because any time that I've had any child rearing issues I often most of the time possibly every single time call you which is hilarious because I don't have children but you give me the Caribbean you're like this is what we do this is what my mom would do and I'm like oh. Okay. Okay. So on that, you know, it's strict. You're, you know, and, and especially that kind of first generation kid. Mm -hmm. you, they, they're really a first, first child, a first, first child, kid, right? First I'm the oldest. Yeah. But your parents and your and your brother and sister, mm -hmm. younger sister, little sister, mm -hmm. um, have been incredibly supportive and have been the ones really to kind of push you out of, out of the the, the nest um, across the ocean, and now we're in Rome. Right. And I think when I first met you, you were writing 24-7, right. 5 a.m. to 5 p.m., mm -hmm. never taking a break. And then what happened? All of a sudden, you just woke up and were like, I'm a designer? No. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I wish. Uh, actually, you know what? I appreciate it now, but at the time, I, I did not see it this way. So I co-wrote, um, well, I wrote this script called Jumping the Broom. And it was based on an idea that this producer and writer, Elizabeth Hunter, had pitched to me when I was at another production company. It was back in L.A. And so I wrote the script as a spec. And I remember my manager at the time was like, that's a waste of time. That's such a small movie. No one's going to buy it. And not only was it bought, it was also made. And then Elizabeth Hunter and I, you know, worked on it together. And she was the other writer on the movie. And she did the all the rewrites and everything. 
And so the movie came out and it did well, I mean, relative to the cost, the budget. It's over 2,000 screens. It was considered like a, a success. And almost 10 years later, it's still running. I mean, no, every time, like, my sister will be like, haha, look what I could watch this weekend. It's like, you know, you know how they do it? It's on it's Netflix. On Lifetime, but it's on Lifetime. Like, it's like when you look, because since I don't have, you know, American cable, but mm -hmm. my sister will be, you know, like they do the list of all yeah. the shows, and it's like, jump in the broom again. And it was on Netflix, Italia. I mean, and, you know, because of Valentine's Day, every Valentine's Day, they're like, these are the romantic comedies that you could watch. Blah, blah, blah. And it's always listed. There was an uh, article on BuzzFeed. Can you recognize these wedding dresses? And they had Sabrina's wedding dress from Jumping the Broom. So the thing is, it was really, uh, it did very well. And yet, I mean, this is pre-Black Panther. This is pre-everything. Um, people are like, whatever. It's a niche. It's considered a niche film mm -hmm. because it stars black people. And, you know, and it stars only, I put that in quotes, you know, Angela Bassett, da 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 and oh, at that, yeah. Who's, and, who's Angela Bassett? <laughs> and at that point, I was so frustrated and just fed up because I had been in the business, you know, for 12, 13, 15 years. I don't even remember. And uh, and then also people were saying things to me. Uh, my uh, This agent was like, well, I like her work, but, you know, she's basically I'm too old and uh, and she doesn't live here. And I said, what difference does it make if I don't live in L.A. full time? I would come out for meetings. I said. You know, there are all these writers who live in the UK, British writers who live in the UK, who live in London, and they work in Hollywood all the time. And their, ad their response was, well, they're British. You're not Italian. There's no reason for you to live in Italy. Again, oh, because, like, because you're not Italian, you can't work in Italy and work in, like, live in Italy and work in L.A. And I'm just going to say, pandemic. <laughs> A lot has changed since then. But I... Um, so what I said was, you know, that's it. You know, it's a wrap for me. You know, I'm done. I'm done. I'm just so done. And I had a meeting. Um, you know, I was thinking, you know, I always loved interior design. My first job out of college, I worked in, you know, home furnishings. I was in a buying program at um, Bloomingdale's. And I thought, um, you know, maybe I'll go back to school. Da -da 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 -da. So before that, I had a coffee with Elizabeth Minkeely, whose husband happens to be an architect and I tell her about you know what I'm thinking and she said okay before you spend money well first of all I, we weren't even sure what school I would go to before you spend money to get a master's you should talk to a designer here and uh, I met Ilaria Miani and I thought it was going to be more like an information interview and she ended up hiring me as an intern so let me let me give a, a little um, podcast check right here. So Ilari Miani is uh, a great interior designer in Italy who's done a lot of villas in Tuscany and if you've been following my podcast um, I've also interviewed, the, there, there was a podcast where I, I spoke with the owner of Monteverdi in Tuscany and it's this beautiful almost like a hamlet that he's taken over and created this luxury retreat resort kind of place and it's all designed by Ilaria Miani. Mm -hmm. So, the, you know, it's not that you just walked down the street and found Qualsiasi designer, you you worked with the Italy's top designer. And uh, and it was really an eye-opening experience. First of all, I realized I spoke, uh, I really didn't speak Italian. And I'd freak out every time they would leave me in a showroom by myself. I'm like, I'm like please don't ring, please don't ring. Because when I picked up the phone, it was like, all I could see was like, buonasera, buongiorno. Anyway, uh, and uh, it was a fantastic experience and there was an architect there named uh, Olympia Stocky and I worked with her a lot and actually Monteverde they were working on Monteverde yep. when I was there 
And I uh, remember you told me that. And before I my internship was, and also let me just backtrack. I probably was the oldest intern in the entire world, but I learned <laughs> so much from that experience. And before my internship was up, I had my first client. So people hearing this might think, oh my gosh, it was just like a walk in a park. No, it wasn't because there were a couple things. First of all, I did not know until I started my internship that interior design as a industry or as a business, the way we know it in America and the UK does not exist in Italy. There are no, there are, not, there are a couple decorators, but th there's no interior designers, there's no decorators. If you want to do interiors in Italy, you become an architect, and there are a lot of architects here. There are more architects in Rome than the entire country of France, that's what I was told. Or four times the amount of architects than in London, and London is a much bigger city. Everybody and their mother is an architect. You know, there are not that many jobs for architects. So it's not the most lucrative field, uh, especially in a city like Rome. Let's let's talk a little bit more about the design in that, you know, all of a sudden, well, no, I'm not going to say all of a sudden because I know it was a lot of hard work and I know it was an accrual of, of projects that started happening. So I remember when you were in Tuscany or I think it was at the farmhouse, um, I've seen the projects that you've done in Rome. Mm -hmm. And and I know that all of this started, you know, you would talk about your falegname, you would talk about, I think it's the Fabro. I mean, you were, you were talking about the Fabro, right? Yeah, the blacksmith. The yeah. blacksmith. Like, you know, your, your projects were not simply, you know, I, m my experience with interior design prior to talking with you about it was like somebody just like paints your apartment and finds you furniture. Mm -hmm. um, what you started doing and that I was like, this is really like amazing because what you're doing is you're working with handcraft artisans. Mm -hmm. And that's A something lot. that I wouldn't say is entirely unique to Italy, but mm -hmm. it is Italian culture. It's, yes, it is. It's a, I, and it's not, I think in the States, a lot of times when you have things custom made, they're much more expensive than the same quality if you were to buy it retail. Whereas in Italy, sometimes it's actually less expensive to have something custom made by your carpenter or by your blacksmith than to buy it in the store at the same quality. So when you say custom made, what kind of things are we talking about? Can you give us some examples? Well, I've had beds, like a canopy bed made out of um, iron, ferro. Um, it is ferro, right? Uh, mm -hmm. <laughs> I've had that made. I've had, um, you know, walk-in closets completely handmade um, by a carpenter. I've had sofas and chair armchairs made, again, all custom, everything, the frame, the upholstery, everything. Um, and that's a good example. For example, you know, couches are not cheap. They're not. And if you buy a very good quality couch, it's going to be thousands and thousands of dollars. But this, but if you have it made, it's yes, it's going to be thousands and thousands of dollars. But it's going to be with you. But it'll be with you for years and years and years. And you could also, you know, replace the upholstery. Um, you know the quality that you're getting because I know this this upholsterer. I know the tapestiere. I know the workshop. You know, What's I, a tapestiere? Upholsterer. Oh, that's, okay, that's the upholsterer. Right. Um, you know, actually, so I think that's I think that's one of the like for me was one of those eye-opening things was when when you started talking about this and then you know I, I live in a neighborhood that has Via della Farniame, yeah. for example, mm -hmm. and there are still some wood makers left and there mm -hmm. are still some you know in in Rome itself. Um, I know that a lot, but I know the the amazing thing is you were not simply sourcing from Rome. I know that you would talk about going out, or your your Fabro, who's like in the country somewhere. Yeah, close to uh, Viterbo. Yeah, I mean that's mm -hmm. not that's not quite. You know, you, you created this incredible network. Now, I also think what's pretty cool is, 
the easy part of your, your job is that you just happen to be in a country that has incredible design. Yes, I mean, and it's very inspiring. And not to say that there isn't an incredible design in, in the United States. There is, but it seems less accessible in a way. Like, it seems, it's similar to food, how, like, arugula is basically a weed, and everybody here eats arugula. It's, like, not fancy pants food. But in the States, it's kind of like, it's like elitist or something. It's just, no, it's like beauty is all around you, and everybody appreciates the beauty. It's expected, you know? It's normal like you go to you know you're going to a sunday lunch and you stop by a pastry the way the it's wrapped it's beautiful it's not like it's a special occasion or like oh you're going for someone's birthday it's just sunday lunch or maybe a sunday dinner and it's again it's just expected and it's not about you know it's not something that's just for people who are wealthy it's even again even with the custom um having things custom made it doesn't mean that you have a ton of money it means that you know that this piece of uh, furniture, if you have, let's say, a coffee table made, you're going to hand it down. It's going to last for a very long time. So I know you've done properties, apartments in Rome, villa outside in, in Tuscany, um, but really what I wanted to talk to you about is Reno Italiano, because that was a cool project that I got to hear about from you for, I think you worked on it for 18 months, maybe two years. I, no, 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 no. It wasn't two years. It was, um, I mean, yes, when the whole thing started, like with the sizzle reel, when they first reached out. Yes, that so, process. So I, as a friend, I, I like, okay, let's call it, let's, let's not call it worked on. I, I know the, the story from its Right, its although I was not able to share with Erica what network, well, I didn't know in the beginning what network it was. I didn't know anything other than they wanted to shoot a sizzle. So a, a network reached out to you and said. No, a, a producer. A producer. Right. The production company. Okay, let me back up. So there's a, uh, a Facebook group for expats. There are a couple of them. And I've stopped reading or going on those sites just because it was super, they're very negative. <laughs> so a lot of Americans just complaining about Italy all the time. It's like, ah, basta. So I happened to go on this day. I don't know why, but after like maybe a year and a half, I just literally happened to be on Facebook, saw that a production company in America was looking for interior designers or decorators for potential project in Italy. So I sent my website, I sent an email, and they called me immediately, and that started the whole process. And in the beginning, they didn't say if they had a network in mind that they wanted to pitch me to. And then um, I got a call one day, and they said, oh, you know what, we want to do a sizzle reel, um, and it's going to be for HGTV. And I was, my mouth just dropped, like, wait, what? And, uh, and yeah, we want to shoot in two weeks in, Ju in July in Rome. I was cracking up because um, you mean all, you mean uh, September, right? Because nothing happens in August. They're like, no, no, no. We want to shoot this month, but we made it happen. We figured it out. So tell me about stressful. the project, <laughs> because it wasn't simply let's do a sizzle reel. It became a project that wasn't in Rome. Right. So we did a sizzle reel, and, uh, and for those who don't know, sizzle reel basically is just um, we shot for four days, but it's like three minutes of basically giving the network um, an idea of what the show could be. And then after that, if they like it, you get to go to pilot. So they called me and they're like, we're going to pilot. It was like, ah! So then you have to find the, you know, the, the right project, the clients, et cetera, et cetera. And for me, this is a very unusual process because I'm used to, I meet the clients and we work together on the house. This was a little different in that we were, kind of, we were brought together because of the show. 
So first of all, let's just localize where it is. It's in Arpino. Okay, right? so it's it's uh, Arpino is about an hour and 15 minutes south of Rome, really right between Rome and Naples. It's um, there's some dark, Darius keeps telling me there's some archaeological site. Yeah, there, there is. And, I have no idea. And it it's the birthplace of Cicero. Oh, that's what he keeps saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and it's really beautiful region of um, of Italy, and not a lot of people know that. Everybody knows like Tuscany, Umbria. Uh, it's still Lazio. But it's Lazio, mm -hmm. and it is gorgeous. And so, um, yeah, they had bought this house that had been uh, divided into two houses decades ago, had not been lived in for over 60 years. So, yeah, there were definitely challenges. Plus, it's on a very steep, narrow street. For some reason, that's two-way street, even though a car could barely fit up it. Um, so just the logistics, and then you're dealing again with, like, Italian bureaucracy, but... Uh, the project was really rewarding, and I'm so happy that my um, clients are happy. They love their house. It's well, quite a transformation. Let's talk a little bit about the project in the in the sense that you know it's, it's this townhouse that is completely gutted. Well, it was one house when it was built over 200 years ago, and then at some point they split it into two houses. And the house had been abandoned. No one had lived in this house for over 50, no, maybe over 60 years. Mm. So it would have been challenging even if someone had been living in the house like last, you know, last year. But the fact that the house had been empty so long, um, yeah, there was like a literally, uh, there, there was literally a hole in the floor. Like to get up to the first level, what we Americans would call the second floor, uh, I had to climb this rickety, very high ladder because there was no other way to access the floor. <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, and there were birds' nests, you know, birds living in the house. And, you know, during the, uh, the demo, I remember just standing there in this house and seeing these birds flying back and forth. I'm like, out of the window. I was like, what is going on? Uh, so, yeah. I, and, I mean, it was great when I saw, so I might have been live tweeting along with you when I yes. saw Reno Italiano. In January, and um, it was great because it is—it's impactful when you first see like the the crumbly wall, and you're like, I was just like, oh my god! Like I, I would have looked at that and been like, later, right? Or the kitchen <laughs> when um, Tracy—that uh, was my client, the Moses, Tracy and Matt Moses—when Tracy said, "Oh, I would like the kitchen to be on the ground floor," which, if you're in Tuscany. You could do that. Um, the ground floor is where the animals stayed. And I've seen some amazing kitchens built on that floor, and you open up into a field. But that is a townhouse. So you would have, like, opened up onto the street. It just, And then you have to move all the plumbing. The electrical didn't make sense. But when we walked into what was the original kitchen, I just saw the look on her face, and I could tell she was thinking, no, no, not possible. So you were so. How much of the project would you say were you working directly with artisans as opposed to like sourcing from designers? Like, well, I would say it's. I mean, I think the kitchen that's working with an artisan because okay. we're sitting down. We didn't just go into a kitchen shop and just say, okay, boom, I want that kitchen. That kitchen was custom designed. Like no other kitchen in the world will look like Tracy and Matt's kitchen. That's custom. I love the kitchen, and I, you know what I love, I, and I think that I would, I want everybody to, you know, we're gonna we're gonna figure out a way that everybody can see this episode. If, in fact, if it means everybody has to email HGTV to see it. <laughs> when I saw the big reveal, and I thought what was really cool was that yes, it's a historic town, Cicero. The building is 200 years old, and you were able to fuse 
you know, keep keep the integrity of the history and then bring in some beautiful contemporary, you know. Yes, their tastes are very, I mean, they are big on mod, like their style is modern. And I was worried that if we went too modern, we would strip the house of all its character. And I don't like it when a house has no sense of place or no sense of architecture. I mean, you, don't, you have no idea where you are. And I think when you walk into the house, you know you're in Italy. It's, it's, it, can't, it could be no other place. Even if you were to take some of the elements of the house and put them somewhere else, it, it's, you know, this house is Italy. And uh, so what we said was, okay, so we're doing modern rustic, heavy on the modern. Because if you go in the other direction and you do it, it's too rustic, then you, it could seem kind of cliche mm -hmm. because you're making the house something that it never was. Like, I think sometimes you found out a lot in Tuscany, like the big boom of all the big Tuscan renovations that were happening with Americans or British people coming to buy a place and they're like, okay, we're going to be super authentic. But what is authentic? There were no bat when these houses were built. There were no, we didn't, they didn't even have modern plumbing, like, so. And also, I think when, that's a great, a great point about authentic also means, like, you know, authentic in Italy means great design, and that great design can be 21st century design. So yeah. you can, like, what you're, like, you're talking about keeping that integrity mm -hmm. and, and not going too heavy on the modern, but bringing in pieces that also set, set the identity of the property, but keep it contemporary as well. Right, because that, at the end of the day, it's not my, oh, I can't believe I just said at the end of the day. That's something I try. <laughs> it's uh, but it's not my house. It's my client's house. And because one time someone said to me, well, what is your aesthetic? What is your aesthetic? And yes, there are things that I like or that I respond to more, but I don't live in these houses. My clients do. And it's about the client's aesthetics and the client's taste and what their needs and wants are. And we work together to bring like the best of the best regarding my clients taste um, but I also I've been very lucky too I've worked with people who have a strong point of view and sometimes maybe it's challenging if their point of view is very strong but I, I learn from that and I think it's actually exciting to work with someone who is clear about what they like and what they don't like what is difficult is working with clients who are very indecisive and that's tough. I do worry about uh, what's going to happen if we don't support local businesses, local artisans, or artisans, period. Um, look, I'm not, I'm a realist. Globalization is, I mean, the genie's out of the bottle. But I would say let's try to at least mix it up. Like, if you're going to buy things from a big box store, try if you can, if budget allows, to buy at least one thing for your room or for your house from a local artisan or, for, or that's handcrafted. Because that is something no one else could ever, even if they make another coffee table, it will not be your coffee table. It will be something that's unique to your home. And that's what your home should be. You know, it should be a reflection of you and your, your taste, your style, your lifestyle. And that's why, I mean, I know what trends are going on. I'm aware of trends, but I really couldn't care less about trends. The same with clothing. Like, I'm more interested in style and not so much fashion. And I think even more so since living uh, in Italy, like, I think it really does help my, has helped my eye. Um, 
And I think it's just really important as we live in, like I know the world is very interconnected, that's wonderful. The downside with globalization is that everything starts to look the same. I, one thing I love about Italy and I love about Rome was the fact that you still have small shops here and it's the human touch, if you will. But again, it's starting to change as more and more big chains come here. I just, I saw what happened in St. Martin where my parents are from, especially on the Dutch side. Um, like, what's the point of traveling if every place is going to be exactly the same? Every place has a Starbucks on each corner. Every place has the same Zara. Every place, like, no, we got to mix it up. One of my one of my favorite designs or pieces or interiors that you've worked on was more like working on an entire work of art in the sense that you built a house from I was going to say from the ground up, but I'm going to say from the beach up. <laughs> Yes, I just finished um, a house in uh, Anguilla. That was, I just want to tell everybody, it was it was nothing. There was it was just land. You started. Land. Like, I just I find that fascinating. It's like it was years in the making. Um, it's like Lego, larger than life. <laughs> and it, the logistics were difficult, you know, because I I I, I live here. Um, it, but you've worked on other projects. Just, just so that everybody knows, Arlene has worked on other projects outside of Italy. Yes, I worked on a project in LA, I worked on one in San Francisco, but there's something about a tiny, tiny island in the Caribbean that made it uh, a little bit more difficult. So, um, but we had an amazing uh, team, like our contractors, fantastic. We, um, halfway through, we uh, had a, finally brought in a project manager, which I wish we had done that from the very beginning, but you don't know what you don't know. And um, <laughs> the house is done. How, uh, long, how long did you work on that project? It was years. 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 Um, from I would say from start to finish. From, the, from breaking ground to the completed house. Years. I mean, we can also... I mean, we're not talking decades, guys, but we're not talking decades. years. But, but there, you know, we're also... You were going to say that... Not that you were going to say that I just interrupted, but I was going to throw in... There was a hurricane... Yeah, there's, <laughs> there you have a hurricane. We had Hurricane Irma. You have a global now, this global pandemic. Uh, but the house is um, is done. It's three bedrooms, three bathrooms, you know, ensuite, and it uh, it has very very high ceilings, like 19 feet ceilings. I know when you showed me them. That, remember, I kept saying when when you were sh she was showing me when she. The pictures, and I was like, I just couldn't even envision that when I initially. We had to and get that uh, wraparound porch, or that, oh, not wraparound, but a the veranda, um, mm, a I large veranda, because in the Caribbean that's very important because there's a lot of indoor/outdoor living. We instead of getting um, doors, you know, like French doors, or we we got uh, bifold or accordion doors that lead out onto the veranda. So when you open them, it's just. You know, you have this incredible view, and this breeze is coming in. We had to get the um, pendant lights over the island custom-made, their schoolhouse, because the ceilings were so high, you couldn't just buy, buy the pendants. You had to get the um, cord made extra, extra long. So that's a, it's another mix, again, of, you know, you really use, I, I know when you were pointing out some parts of the design, I think there was, like, uh, I, I don't know if it's called an armoire. Um, there was uh, you had local artisans, but were the table. Oh, there. Um, yes, when you first walk into the property, because you enter from the road, and basically, technically, the front of the house is the roadside, not the beach side. The beach side is the back side of the house, and or the rear of the house. And uh, we had these custom um, cabinets made. Um, 
you know, quite high. And I remember our project manager was like, well, why don't you just buy them, you know, at a big box store? And I said, no, you know, this is the first thing you see when you walk in. And we had a local carpenter make them. And yeah, it cost more than a big box. But the thing with Anguilla is because it's such a small island, there are not that many um, resources for furnishings. Almost everything is bought off island. And a lot of people, when they furnish a property in Anguilla, they everything comes in a container from the United States or maybe from some things from Europe as well or also um, like with a lot of the hotels or villas they get everything from China and I said it's really important to me that first of all it's a new build and I don't like it when everything in a new build is new because it feels more like a showroom there's no warmth to it and I didn't want everything to be from the United States just because it's in the Caribbean, and the Caribbean is a mix of cultures, and I wanted all the cultures represented. And so we had things, yes, we did have a container come from the States, and we ordered from certain brands that a lot of uh, people will know. And, uh, and then we had some things that I ordered in St. Martin, uh, where my parents live, uh, from a store that does more, I would say more things come from France and, uh, and Italy. And... I also had things that were local, that were locally made. Like I had the bedside tables for the main bedroom. Those were made locally by the carpenter. Again, so I said, why are you buying bedside tables? I mean, why don't you just buy bedside tables? Just get them from, you know, store in the state, stick it on the container. I said, we can't have every single thing in this room be from the container. We have to, you know, again, mix it up. So our carpenter did an amazing job. Uh, I had a custom, a built-in, um, like a bookcase slash desk. He built that as well. Um, all the the fronts for the kitchen cabinets, he did those. We couldn't have him actually build the entire cabinet, including the guts, because that's like was not in the budget. But I did not want. Again, it's a, a beach house, so we went very simple with the cabinets, shaker style. I know a lot of people are like, oh my gosh, white cabinet, shaker style. That's so over. It's timeless, it's a classic, it's a beach house. I'm not, <laughs> you know, like it works for that. I don't, again, like I said, I don't care about trends. I care about what makes sense for the project, for that house, for that architecture, for the clients. That's more important. What I like about this house is more than the other houses that you've done is that I could potentially stay there. Yes, ah, you, yes you so, could. so this this is this is the whole this is what I've been driving at the whole time is I'm coming to Anguilla. <laughs> <laughs> um, tell us a little bit about that. It's it's a it's a vacation property? Yes, it's um yes, it's going to be available to rent and there is um it's going to be listed with Properties in Paradise uh, shortly, as soon mm -hmm. as we get our photos back. And uh, we already have um, some people who are going to be renting it out uh, next month. And I'm very excited about it because it's really, I mean, these are some strange times that we're living in. And I'm excited that people will be able to, once they jump through the, not hoops, but once the protocols, the protocols the, the, they will be able to go to a place where they can relax and just get away from it all and enjoy the house. I mean, the house is meant to be enjoyed, and I'm happy that my 
I don't know. I'm just very excited that my clients decided to go in, in this direction. Well, I'm really looking forward to the opportunity to, to visit it. I really, I can't wait. Like, mm -hmm. I, I have to tell you, Xanthe was looking at the pictures and she's like, oh, so when are we going? <laughs> I was like, well, we got to get through some protocols first, but we would, we would love it. And so that leads me to conclude our podcast with yeah. the required where we can find Arlene and where we can so because I think everybody should jump into Arlene's mind and the best way to do it is on her Instagram at <laughs> Arlene Antoinette Gibbs so that's her Instagram and then if you want to go into her fully that that, that gives you a front row glimpse into her daily life in Rome, which includes yeah, all like the... Slice. Yeah, it's more slice so of life. Slice of life. Less, I mean, some people said to me, oh, you should have a separate Instagram for your design. I was like, no, because it's all connected. It's, it's all integrated. Living here, like I said, it's like my eye is constantly um, seeing new things, even though I've lived in the city now for over 10 years. I turn a corner and I'm 12. Like, We're going to be celebrating 12 in April, right? Yes. No, maybe 13. Oh, wait, is it 2021? It is. Oh, hey. hey. So, yes, 13 years <laughs> in April. Um, so, if you want to know, if you want to get the full immersion in her projects, you can go to ArleneGibbsDecor.com. That's my website. <laughs> Last up, just telling everybody yet again where they can find the cottage. Oh, uh, it is uh, the cottage at Meads Bay on Instagram. And, and we're going to have a website up at some point. And everybody, I want you to do your best to find Reno Italiano. I'm going to have... Reno. Reno. Sorry, I said Reno? Yeah, like Reno, Ve Las Vegas? You know what? You know <laughs> why? You know, no, Reno, uh, you know why I said that? Because why? when I'm with you... Now, this is a specific plug for her sister, Daniela. I get into the tri-state area mode. <laughs> <laughs> now, the reason why they're laughing is because... And I'm saying there because the I, you're not your sister is part of this. Yes, um, Daniela, this is a plug for, for the true tri-state area. <laughs> Philadelphia, New Jersey, New York. Um, no, no, it's Connecticut, New Jersey, New York. Philadelphia, New Jersey, no, New York. I'm sorry, it's <laughs> Connecticut, New Jersey, New York. That is the tri-state. I don't, I don't know why Erica keeps trying to front no. and say that. You no, know, we're 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 going to end this podcast. <laughs> Everybody's going to go look at Reno Italiano. You're going to love it. We're going to I'm going to have all I'm going to send you links um, on my website. You can find all the information about it. I'm going to link you to Arlene's website. Um, and then we're all going to conclude specifically for her sister. This is the tri-state area of Philadelphia, New York, no, New Jersey. Erica, Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Ciao Bella. If you'd like to know more about today's guest, please visit ciaobella.co and click on the podcast link or go directly to ciaobella.co backslash podcast. Want more Italy? You can find all my episodes on iTunes and Spotify and Stitcher. When you have time, subscribe to iTunes and rate the podcast. What are you waiting for? And if you want to be part of the podcast, email me or DM me your Italy questions. To learn more about me and my work, go to my website, ericafierpo.com, and follow my Italy adventures on Instagram at ericafierpo. Ciao, Bella! And a very big thank you and hug to Massimiliano Yonta and Disc to Disc Studios, the producers of Ciao, Bella, who continue to make me sound and feel great.